Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another show. Uh, This week we've got a top, top guest, someone I'm so excited about having on the show. So I've been trying to get on the show for a long, long time. It's uh, Paul McGuinness, who's currently an FA coach educator with the English Football Association, uh, but also worked over, uh, was was at Man United for over 20 years as a player and as a coach. Uh, Someone who really uh, inspires me regularly. Uh, watching his ses- not only his sessions and delivering that, but also his, his uh, continual work on social media about trying to break the game down and the importance of individual technique and particularly the 1v1 duel and what that looks like. So someone uh, who, who, like I said, really inspires me and motivates me and I'm, I'm really, you know, really privileged that he, he's, he's going to come onto the show and he's got so much uh, knowledge and experience to, to share, not only about his co-education work, but his time at Man United and working with players like Rashford and Pogba and, and that Man United obviously one of the best academies in the world you know continually producing top talent and playing it in their first team so someone has real knowledge and insight in the game and so you know someone who can you can really look up to and uh, listen to and know he's going to he's going to share some some real coaching gold so like I said really privileged he's coming to the show and this is a a real amazing uh, insightful and interesting and inspiring uh, hour just over an hour of uh, football coaching talk so I know you're going to enjoy this one also now, just really uh, privileged to announce, uh, proud to announce that Albert Capellas, ex-head uh, head of Barcelona's Youth Academy, is also going to be joining us uh, on the My Personal Football Coach Virtual Academy. Uh, the next phase of the Virtual Academy launches at the end of um, end of March. Uh, he's joining Romeo Jozek, ex Dynamo Zagreb, head of uh, and head of technical development of Croatia. Marink Redink, who's ex Ajax coach, obviously myself. Scott Chickleday, a forward coach who works with pros and ex Tottenham. Glenn Hicks, ex Tottenham Academy. Uh, Charles uh, Charlie Quigley, who's the SNC coach at Middlesbrough, and Joe Sutton, who's uh, ex head of uh, recruitment at Arsenal's foundation phase, are all going to be delivering uh, on the My Personal Football Coach. Virtual Academy, the only virtual academy in the world where players can get weekly content from some of the best youth developers in the world. So they basically get a technical session from me every Monday, a webinar series on Wednesday, uh, like a live recorded classroom session, and then like a live classroom session on the weekend, and sometimes question and answer sessions that obviously uh, folk f- which uh, fit around their UK and US time specifically. Uh, but everything's pre recorded, <clears throat> and obviously that can sit alongside their team training and stuff like that. So really privileged and proud to have such a dream team of uh, coaches delivering on this unique uh, opportunity for players and parents and coaches even to experience some of the the, uh, the best coaches in the world from the, some of the biggest academies in the world as well so uh, if you want to find out more you can uh, check out the info in the link uh, also you can just go to mypersonalfootballcoach.com and uh, check out the players and then the virtual academy and uh, spaces are limited so make sure you check it out soon uh, but without further ado let's get into the show so Paul McGuinness welcome to the show Hi, Saul. Yeah, great to speak to you. You too, Matt. I really appreciate you taking the time. Can you just uh, give us a brief um, sort of the, like, outline of your playing and coaching journey up to this point, just very briefly? Yeah, just quickly. I'm, I'm, I followed in my dad's footsteps. He was a player, coach and manager at Manchester United. So I, I was in the youth teams and reserves at Man United in two, two periods. Um, one before I went to um, Loughborough University, did a sports science degree. And then after I finished for a couple of years, I had a small 
small time at uh, Chester City and um, crew. And then uh, Sir Alex brought me back. I was only about 26 onto the staff. I did a, a year or so doing education and welfare. And then I was uh, uh, given the job of uh, head of the, what well, would, would be the academy now, it was the Centre of Excellence. Um, first with the under nine to 16 players. And then after a period of about 10, 15 years, then with the under 18s, which, uh, which I did for about yeah, 10 years or so, 10, 12 years as well. And now I'm a uh, coach. Yeah, coach, developer, or learning to do the job, that's for sure. It's, it's another big step in, in your coaching um, sort of journey to try and help uh, educate and develop coaches for the FA. So how long are you there at Man United altogether? As about 28 years as a player and uh, as a coach, yeah. Uh, look, luckily enough, it was like during some glory years, uh, a sort of amazing period, <laughs> yeah, when they were, were well, doing really well, yeah. So then talk a little bit about that then. What was it like as a player play, playing in that? What was, the, what was the culture like in terms of, you know? Well, first of all, when I was a player, it was um, a period um, uh, under, under Ron Atkinson when they had some really good players there, some fantastic players. And the, the, the great thing was um, I got a chance to, to be coached by Eric Harrison, who's like the, the class of 92 coach. He's always known for that, but really... He coached yeah. a lot more players. He coached just above me was Norman Whiteside, Mark Hughes, people like that. They were a year or two older. Uh, so I played in the A-team with him and then I played in the reserves, which was a fantastic experience because in those day, days, if you didn't play in the first team, you played in the reserves and you also played against other first team players and you played in the main stadiums. Um, so at United at the time, I could quite regularly play with five, six, seven, eight internationals in the reserves. So at the back, they would have Gordon McQueen uh, and uh, say Paul McGrath, or it might be uh, Kevin Moran, uh, Graham Hogg. Up front, we had Mark Hughes, uh, Whiteside, Brazil, or Stapleton. So, they, you know, and Alan Muir and someone like that was an unbelievable player. So I had a great experience playing and training with those players. Um, and then for some strange reason, only in my head, I decided I would go to university, but they... I played part-time as well at United for a year while I was at university. Um, and oh. probably it was the best thing I did because I met some unbelievable people and coaches there as well of all different sports uh, at Loughborough University uh, and carried on playing. And I was just, well, lucky again, I just turned up at the training ground to say hello to the coaches. And this is when Alec Ferguson was there and they didn't have enough players for the reserves, really. They didn't have enough senior, senior players. So they asked me to, to join in for eight games the end of the season. I was due to go to America to do coaching over there and they gave me a two-year contract, Sir Alex. So, yeah, it was, it was an amazing bit of luck, really, for me. What, what position did you play? I, I played midfield, but when I played in the A-team, they, they played me everywhere. I played most positions at the back, you know, midfield, across the midfield, at the back, or, um, yeah, uh, wide. That, I, I could do a little bit of everything, I suppose. Do you think, like, being surrounded and playing next to all those amazing, you know, world-class players. Do you think that affected your outlook as a coach in terms of the sort of coach you are now in terms of the skill development sort of side of things? Uh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I mean, even prior to that, growing up with my dad, my dad was obviously my biggest influence. My, my dad, we would practice on the field. He, he was in England international, broke his leg. We played with the Busby Babes. He saw and played against the great Real Madrid teams and so on. So, he, he practiced on the local field with me and we, he, he was like, 
and he is an amazing character really, but he's always doing something different. So he had lots of tricks. He had lots of, he had, he called it the McGuinness flick where you pretend to volley it and then step mm -hmm. over and flick it over someone's head. He had oh. an overhead handstand back heel, which he saw <laughs> Hendo, the great, uh, the great uh, Real Madrid coach, uh, player, sorry, the great Real Madrid player from the 50s doing in practice, where you, I used to ping at his head, right at his forehead, and he used to dive forward onto his hands, do a handstand, and then sort of bicycle kick it over with the heel of his foot. And he was all, I mean, he ended up being physio trainer at Berry. He would do, go on the, on the pitch before the games with the players. The physio, this is, entertaining the crowd with, the, with all sorts of tricks. So I grew up with that atmosphere. And then when I was about 15, 16, because he knew all the top players, he played with them. Bobby Charlton was his big mate as well. And, and in Manchester then, around then, they had charity games, local radio station, Piccadilly Radio. Then it was Man City versus Man United, old boys, or they would join in and play someone else. And he used to say to me, bring your boots because you might get a game. And most weeks I, I got a game. I was playing with Bobby Charlton, played with him at wow. least nearly at least half a dozen times, maybe more. Uh, Brian Kidd, um, Nobby Styles, Pat Crerand, and also for City, Bell Lee. Something I've played with all those players. It was just amazing. Bobby Charlton was amazing. He was probably in his 40s then. Both feet, could cro cross field passes with both feet, score goals, or score a hat-trick every, every time. Uh, 30 yarders. So yeah, being right next to those players, I think is something that the young players of today miss playing alongside great players. I mean, to play with Norman Whiteside, people just don't know the skill he had. He was known to, for being a big, tough, aggressive guy, but his skill and vision was incredible. Peter yeah, Barnes, I he's a days. great dribbler. Peter Barnes, played with Peter Barnes, yeah. a great dribbler. Um, so, yeah, I think being close up to those people, having them mm. do things to you as well, you know, one, two, you draw you in, suck you in, um, play around you. I mean, Norman Whiteside in one practice match, I mean, he was my hero because he was just a year or so above, but also he was the youngest player in the World Cup, broke Pele's record. So you're playing against this guy in training. I remember a ball going up right on the edge of the box and I'm coming in behind and I thought, oh, Norman, I'm going to give it you because it's going to make my name. If, if he controls this, I'm going to hit him on the half turn. And as the ball came right out of the sky, what he did was... And you never saw him look, but he must have had a look. He controlled it with the outside of his left foot around one side, like on the half volley, trapped it and ran around the other side. And I, kept, I was going running towards him, trying to kick him. And it was like, wow, it's an unbelievable piece of skill. So, yeah, you, you, you learn so much from being alongside these real top players, yeah. Yeah, because there's a couple of things there, isn't interesting things. Obviously, we did your dad there, but that character and having that culture at home and of like, you know, that bravado almost you're talking about that skill and like, you know, when you talk about the arrogance that, you know, skill and arrogance of timing, that sort of thing. So it's real interesting. You grew up in that culture. And then again, then playing alongside these players and, you know, seeing those up firsthand. I remember the reserve, my brother used to take me to reserve games at White Hart Lane and, you know, seeing the, you know, big, 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 those big pros and playing with the younger players. It's really interesting, isn't it? How now, you know, there's that big gap here, maybe in our, in our development, maybe. Nice yeah, I think nice so. And, and going to games, going to games live. I mean, I, I obviously grew up, I was so mad with football. I always asked my dad in the school holidays and everything, could I go in training with him, whichever club he was at? So from the age of 10, 11, 12, I was going, joining in. And I was always playing against the older apprentices or the reserve team. 
And then you see some of them, I mean, even at Berry in those days, probably in the 80s, you, you had players who'd been at the very top level and were just seeing out the last end of their career, uh, you know, in the second or third division. So you had Sammy McElroy playing there, who's top international, you know, uh, captain of Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland. Then you had um, the manager, player manager was Martin Dobson. The one that really stuck out for me was a dribbler and crosser of the ball, Leighton James, who played for Wales. Now, if people get on YouTube and watch Leighton James, he's, he plays against England and tears them to bits. Um, he could shoot with both feet. He could drag it. You know, I think dragging is such an important skill. And I was watching him and he's just teasing them. He's dragging it along with the ins inside of his right foot and then he'd drop his shoulder and come inside and shoot or he'd dummy to shoot and then go again. And you're watching these players and it, it did, I studied it. It, it gave me uh, lots of ideas for myself as a player, but then, you know, to pass those things on. Dragging, I think, is, is something that is just completely, to me, it's essential. If you want to control the game, you have to have players who can drag the ball because if you can drag it and keep it close to your foot, then you've got control because if the guy dives in, you can just knock it away from him on the out, on the inside or the outside. Um, and, you know, you're looking at people now, the one that really stands out is Grealish. You know, he drags it, drags it. And of course he gets fouled a lot, but that's because he's, he's not lightning quick. So he takes the ball closer to people than other people would do. And then they dive in and he gets a foul because he's he's so skillful at taking it. Well, I like I like these analogies and stuff. Michael Carrick did a, a really good presentation in the summer and he called it getting close to the fire without getting burned, which is a, a nice analogy to have. Yeah. The yeah. problem in development is a lot of the coaches don't let the players try it because to get close to the fire and not get burned, you've got to get burned a few times, you know, and get the timing wrong. But a lot of them, I think, are always saying, pass it, pass it, tempo, when sometimes to develop these skills, you have to let the kids really, you know, slow it down and then change speed. And, and, and they have to experiment a bit, really. Well, it's funny. I was thinking about Jamal, who's just obviously <clears throat> a Bayern Munich yeah. Jamal Musayali and he's, he's uh, he was in my first my first season at Chelsea I took him in the 10s and he used to drive the, some of the coaches <laughs> mad like they play yeah. quick because he was, wouldn't pass but yeah. he just he really excited me I thought wow what an outlier and that was you know really thing but that's cultural thing isn't it it's that you know teams want to yeah. play they want team possession and it's trying to get over that I think also it's one of the downsides of academies that they think it's got to look like the first team it's premature yeah. professionalism. It doesn't have to look like that first team. But of course, if you've recruited lots of good players, you can sort of do that earlier because they're good. But I worry that if they get there too soon, they don't get enough practice. And that's why I like um, to play sort of not so serious games, but practice with mixed age groups because the older ones can really practice sort of little tricks and so on. And the young ones really learn from, from playing with them. So at Man United years ago, we had a cage that we played in, which led to, you know, all sorts of dribbling combinations and, and timing and one-twos and all this. But we played with mixed age groups. So at the time, you might have Pogba, Jesse Lingard, Michael Keane, Will Keane, Ravel Morrison. Or it was a really high-talented group. Uh, lots of Van Velsen, lots of people there. team that won the Youth Cup. And they were playing, they were 18. Then we would have the 16-year-olds. And then we would have the 14-year-olds. And then we'd go, well, he's pretty good. Let's put him in. 12-year-old, say, Rashford was training with them. So 
they're learning. We'd say you're they're not obviously they're not getting as many kicks as the other kids, but we'd say you're a privileged spectator. You you're so close to this action with these top players, you're gonna learn from them. And if you want to combine and get a one-two or anything like that, then in your own age group, you might have one or two players you can do it with. But if you're training with the older ones, you know, he's gonna get one-twos and combinations with with Jesse Lingard and Pogba and and whoever else is in there. Um, so it's a it's a really good way. It's a natural way, isn't it? You go down the park and go and play. That's yeah. what you would do. Well, why do you think there's a lot of resistance to that? Why do you think academies don't do that mixed age group stuff uh, more? I think there's a health and safety part to it where they're worried about that. But in all my time, you know, we sometimes got near, but near, bit near the bone. But in, in general, the older ones, if you explain it to them, they know exactly what what's going on. That you know, they're they're then. They, they, they go against themselves strong, like the old ones, but when the, when the young ones are there, they, they, they're very respectful and it's a bit like a big brother, little brother uh, environment. Um, and they, they really help them come on and they, we, we help. They, they do good on a social level as well. A bit like playing in the park. I remember when you play in the park, on a, you go on a Sunday and practice, me and my dad, and it'd be overhead kicks, diving headers, all sorts of practice, dribbling. And then some kids would come over who were playing on the park and they go, all right, Wilf, Wilf, can we have the game as well? And we get maybe might be my brother there. And maybe we get maybe one or two of them. They'd be like three of, we'd have about four of us. And we'd take on about 15 of them. And they were all different ages. You know, my dad used to say, well, just try and beat them all. And um, yeah. so I would, you know, I'd have a go and it's fun. And uh, I think that there's an element of that you have to have. And because... People forget these type of skills that we're talking about. You've got players, you've got to perform in, under high competition in front of 80,000 people. But what the skills require is that you're relaxed while you're doing them. You're comfortable. You know, your body can't be tense. So when people are shouting on, pass, pass, you know, move it quick. You know, you've got a certain tension. The coach is telling you, when you're actually, that ball comes, you see Mares is unbelievable. Isn't it? They play him like a 60-yard pass. The goalkeeper will play it out to him. And he just brings it out or, or down with a little touch with the outside of his foot or, or controls it in one past the player. But Jim Ryan sort of really highlighted this for me when we were there. Jim Ryan was a coach at Man United, worked with me really a lot um, and, and helped me cope with my coaching. And he said, you remember, to control the ball, you have to relax your body. You have to cush, cushion a lot. You might sometimes yeah. wedge it, you know, and bounce it yeah. off. But most of the time, you have to just cushion like you're catching a ball. Then you have to mm. cushion the body. So you have to be relaxed. And your mind needs to then be sort of absorbed and, and relaxed. And if someone's shouting and telling you what to do all the time, I think that's a problem. And that's why probably these guys like Eze and, and Mares and, and all these people who grow up in the cages, they just fall in love with it and they're absorbed in what they're doing. Um, and that was another thing I'm, I'm trying to read up about why it works, the cage and so on. I read some, some research by a woman called Barbara Fredrickson that just says, if you go in with a happy frame of mind to anything, um, then you're more likely to be creative. But if you're tense, then you're not. So getting the right atmosphere, the right competitive element, but also be able to relax and perform these skills is is absolutely vital. I, I think that's that's really interesting because I, I we it's sort of like the, the 
the issue, isn't it? Sometimes academy football because a lot of people talk about <clears> winning <throat> mentality, which is great. But then I saw, you know, they say we want to win the game. That's fine. But I say, well, it's not. It's not a neutral trade-off, you know, because you're saying, well, maybe then you're talking about the players making less, taking less risks, and like you say, moving mm-hmm. the ball, playing a bit quicker, because that might make you work as a team more efficiently and you know, be more productive. And are you? You know, are you judging the success of your academy by the games on Sunday, or you know, yeah. are you really about individual development? Whether you know, you say, well, game doesn't matter, but then you know, there's all those sorts of things. I think culturally, we we really struggle with that one, don't we? Oh, you know, but we want to you know, win yeah. the weekend, or is it the ego of the coach, or that sort of thing? Yeah, I think you know, when we were in the academy there, Jim Ryan used to say the only team other than the first team where it really matters is the reserve team. You know, because they've got to be really preparing for the next step to be winning. And of course, we in the under, other age groups, you're giving everybody a game, they're all having to go. That's not to say we weren't trying to win every game. We certainly were, but it wasn't going to be at the expense of people developing their skills. And even then, you have to remind people. So we had a really nice player, a left footer, who would come in from the right, come across, come across, come across, come across with his left foot. And he's looking, searching for the right pass. It'd be like an Ozil type of player. And he's looking, and you'd hear the shouts from the side, even from some of our coaches, play it simple, get rid, you know, play it one touch. And then I just used to say, no, let him go. Let him decide, because we're not on the pitch. We can't see what he can see exactly, the pictures. You know, I think it's very dangerous to be telling people what to do when they've got the ball. You haven't got, you haven't got the pictures that they've got. So what he would do this, lad, he'd come across, come across, and he'd look. And he'd look at the, he'd come across on the right and he'd look at the left winger and he'd look at him and then he'd look, come across again. He'd just be waiting. He'd look at him again and then he'd bring his foot back as if he's going to play it to him. And then the fullback would make a move towards the, the left winger. And then at the very last second, he'd play the ball inside him. This guy's pass. Now, to get the timing on that, you have to just wait for the right moment. And Jim Ryan would always say, disguise, it's, small, late movements. Now, you've got to let them practice it. <laughs> and you know that sometimes the gap is so small that the margin for error is tiny, but it might be a match-winning pass. And he might have to, he might have to get nine out of 10 wrong before he gets the right one, you know? So that's a big part of understanding how they develop, you know? Letting them I, was, I, was, I was on the, I was, I was interviewing Lewis Gota who's the now Arsenal Academy foundation phase. And he was talking about his time at Reading. And he said one, one thing had really big impact on him was he was playing Man United one day and they were one nil up. And it was all, you know, it was all very, it was all, you know, high intensity, very stressful. But he just remembers looking over to the Man United bench and they were just silent. They weren't, you know, Eamon, obviously, I know Eamon's top drawer, the foundation phase lead. And I remember that time we were going to Man United, Man United with, with, with Chelsea and Tottenham as an academy coach and, watching their coach just let the boys get on with it. I thought it was really yeah. powerful. Do you know what I mean? Just like you know, not getting caught in the emotion of the game and like you say, letting the boys do their own, make their own decisions. And Yeah, that, you know, that's important. Out. That's not to say you're not coaching by doing that because you are coaching. You're creating the right atmosphere for them to make their own decisions. That's not to say we didn't give them information and we did. We sometimes yeah. had problems with parents because they'd be saying, well, the other team's coaching more, they're more... Uh, they're more um, uh, they're more emotional than you. They want to win more and all this. But you're doing the coaching during the week and it's the bare chance to play at the weekend. And then that's not to say there's not lessons to be learned in the game, but there's, if you read up, you know, 
on it is things like cognitive overload. Basically, you can't handle more than four or five pieces of information. You know, so you, you don't want to clog them too much. In fact, I was on a good um, sort of webinar the other the other day, and, and um, Klopp was on it, Jurgen Klopp, and he said three things that really stood out for me that that people should take notice of. He said, "Don't overwhelm the players. You know, don't give them too much information. When you when you're given your information, make it very clear." He said, "I'm dealing with different languages and so on. I've got to make it clear." And he said, "And if they do it, if they can't, don't get it right." Don't blame them. Look at yourself first and see if you could have been clearer. So I think in lots of cases, this shouting all the time from the side of the pitch, it's really disturbing for the players. You know, they can't make their own minds up uh, a lot of the time. That's not to say there's not clear information that you can give, but you, you really shouldn't be playing the game for the players. That's for them. Um, and, and then, yeah, some bits of information. I was lucky because I, I said I was at Man United where I had Eric Harrison who used to sit upstairs in the, in the office while the game, home games were on. He did used to bang on the window really hard if, if you did something wrong and come down and give you... But most of the time, he kept away. The biggest influence I had on that was a guy called Mike Holliday, who was the football coach at Loughborough University. And when I first got there and played for them, it was the first time and had a coach who didn't shout constantly during the game. He just stood on a bank. He had a, he had have a cigarette going. He was like Cesar Minotti with the cigarettes. Half time, he'd maybe say two or three things. At the end, he might say a couple of things. But what was interesting was because we didn't see him every day, he used to just put a list on. We trained twice a week. We played twice a week. And he, he put a list on, the, on his notice board and said, you fill it in when you come. And then you would have half an hour with him during the week, just sat and talking and so on. And I found that to be a really good way of working. Um, obviously, you, you're chatting when you've got them every day and so on. You're talking a little bit. But the, definitely with the half times and, and, and all that was vital. In fact, the first time I was in, in, the, in the first team dressing room at half time was a match at Villa Park. I'd gone to watch the match and the manager said, come down and come and watch a half time. And they, it was nil-nil at half time. And I went in and I thought, well, whew, let's see him work now, this Fergie. You know, let's see the hairdryer. Let's see what he says now. It was the quietest dressing room ever. They all just sat around. He went in the corner. He got a cup of tea. And then it was 10 minutes in those days, not 15 minutes. So just before they went out, he said two or three things. He said, look, the pitch is very firm. So when you're playing your through balls, they're going through too far to the keeper. You know, and it's running through. He said, work the passes up closer to the line and then make runs for the line. They won 2-0 in the second half, you know, and that was it. Now, the fact that he was having a cup of tea and he wasn't, probably just gave the players a sense of, well, there's calm, there's no, no need to worry. It was very little, but very clear and precise information. And I think, you know, the average sort of coach would be very surprised at how little... Uh, ranting and raving goes on in dressing rooms and how how that's really a bit of a caricature, how, how it's very precise, small bits of information that's required. And I think, you know, that's the same with kids, definitely. But what, so going back then, think about to your, <coughs> like, your, co your coaching then, tell us a little bit about what that was, what did that look like in terms of, you know, how did you create an environment? What do your sessions look like where you create an environment where players could express themselves and be skillful? And obviously, because you're working at the yeah. upper end of the academy, obviously you've got to deal a little bit more with there's the, a different there's, the a, there's all, a, all a balance there's all a balance to that different parts of the week we would do different things 
Um, but we used to start, Jim and I did the under-18s a lot. And on a Monday, because they'd had the weekend, they'd had the game, and they also went to college on a Monday, we didn't want to have too much coaching, coaching, too much information, too much that. So we made it pretty much a whole skills day. We also had the lads off on day release from school. So we had any age group we could have to join in with us, which we did. We would then, they would have lunch, come in, they'd be at school in the morning, have lunch, in, and then we'd go in the afternoon. And we'd start off, we we didn't have traditional warm-ups. We played five-a-side to warm up. So that was, to me, the warm-up is get your body warm. And then that might be for 20 minutes free. So they're getting what Jim called a high volume of football. It's adding to it. If you did that three, four times a week, you've got an hour's extra football. That's not to say the fitness guys didn't do their speed work and agility and all that. They did, but we we warmed up by playing football and got extra work. And that was free a lot of the time. And they knew that was free because we would leave them sometimes in the gym playing themselves and we'd go and get a cup of tea and come out with a cup of tea. Now, just like by the fact that you've got the cup of tea and you're chatting, they know it's different. It's a different atmosphere. They know the coaching, like coaching, coaching hasn't started. And this is like a playground thing before school so they would do that some days and then we went out we would always we quite often do boxes at that age we did four v2s i don't like these rondos with like too many people in where people are just taking the, mickey, taking the mickey and standing around to me they have to it has to be part of the game so four v2 is very good because now you've got you can have three lines two or three lines so you're trying to break the line and on and you're testing them we, we played one touch so that's very difficult. You've got to get the right way to pass. And then you can have a lot of disguise comes into the passing. And we wanted it smooth passes generally. If it bobbled or bounced, then we were really strict on it. Very strict. And um, we were strict if it went in the air. They had to get it down and smooth it out quickly. And yeah, lots of disguise. That would be quite a regular warm-up. So they were real fundamentals. Fundamentals for the defending as well. Not to, to get beaten and not to get split. Then we would sometimes do, like you see some of these ones that Barcelona have done. Um, it was one we saw in Spain. It was 7v3, sort of down the side of the 18-yard box um, with one in the middle. So we were working particularly on that guy on his awareness and, and combinations and so on. And the people on the side getting the right way to pass. Then we had an exercise Jim had, which really I could call it a matador exercise, which was for combinations and dribbles. So that we might do this in, say, three sets of eight minutes or so on. And it, depending on the numbers, it might be a big overload, 8v6, sometimes as much as 12v8 or what have you. And we might mix the age groups. And the six, say it was six against 10, the six, if they won it, had to dribble. They couldn't pass. So now it's one against 10. And it was anybody, you just have to dribble. So... And then the ones who, who, the 10, they were combining. So they had to combine, and but they had to flow through. So people said, well, there's no direction, but there is. You're trying to go through them and flow. So in here, Jim had these sayings like the arrogance of timing. So this is to control the timing of when you're going to go. So you play soft passes between you to draw them in and then maybe play around the corner. And then it could bring in disguise as well. Disguise and combinations of running. So then the rule was you must run. If you play, you must run. You must try and get all the way through. Now we had uh, Paul Scholes while he was sort of, he'd retired, but he was training with the reserves, coming and join in. And, and Paul Scholes would go play a one-two, get it back, go through the next one, dummy the next one. 
step over the next one, play a one-two around the next guy, come all the way back. And, and wow, unbelievable. So great example. But yeah, that was a stock. And I would say it's one of the best practices for replicating street football and combinations. And we would have some players, Pogba, uh, you know, Rashford, Lingard. We had a lad called Mads Dar- Matt Starley, he plays for Norway. He would dribble past five or six people in that practice. Uh, it was amazing, yeah. But I think the psychology of it comes into it because it's very much high skill, but also one against ten, you just really, it's almost like a free hit. You can't, you, you know, you basically you know you're going to lose it, so you might as well have a go. You know, it's, it's, it's the whole mentality of it. And then the combinations then became very, you know, very clever and the timing of them, either running to commit someone and play a one-two or a third-man run and so on. It's very instinctive sort of play. And we would do that and then we would go in and we'd have a cup of tea and a piece of cake and just everybody chatting and having a few jokes and a laugh. And then they knew then there was going to be the cage. So we would go in the cage after that. And that was all the things we just practiced and more because there was now shooting and blocking and so on. Anybody watching it, would probably think, and in fact, we did have some coaches who said that's a complete waste of time. It doesn't look like the game. Mm. And if you just look at it like that, it doesn't, you've not got quite the same positions, it's all over. But we played, we found the best number was 13 aside. It was about 55 by 35 with a roof over it. It was it had to be really high skills because of the constraints. And one 13 aside is really one in goal. And then three sets of four aside. So, you you know, that would happen in a game, tight around the box or in a tight area. You might have to go out of an area. You play a little one-two, you do a dummy, you, you, you get out. But the fact is, now there's another four in front of you. If you go through them, there's another four. So it was like, it was like combinations, dribbling and so on, on, on steroids. You were getting more and more and more of it. Yeah. So what, tell us a bit about like the skill development individual skill development stuff would you like pull players out and say you know you got a wide player say what about this try this this skill this one yeah yeah that was a big part of it as well that but as they were growing up they we we had 4v4s but the reason the 4v4s came into the games program is at the time everybody it was 8v8 but you'd have 8v8 and seven subs and somebody else would turn up and we'd go well why don't we have a seven aside then or a six aside and nobody would do it it was almost as if it was a trick you know it's like but we just want, so we said, we want them all playing. They're not getting enough touches. So we, we devised, well, it wasn't me so much. I was in charge of that, that age, those age groups at the time. It was Tony Whelan and um, Tom Statham. They were putting in charge of this project. It was a university project where we had research and studies done. We had four aside. There was different games. One was, one was with uh, goals with nets, with a goalkeeper. One was with goals just, for co- just with cones. Another was with four goals. Another one was line ball. And they just played. They just kept rotating around and played the opposition. They could play as much. The amount, the stats were unbelievable. How many more touches, dribbles, shots, tackles, individual actions was amazing. Now, just at that time, Rennie Muhlenstein came uh, to join us. um, And he was was the Dutch guy who came from Kurva coaching. He'd actually been yeah. working directly with Corbin. Now, so he, he was like, it was like, um, 
it was like an explosion going off. He was he was incredible, the impact he had. And he, he had an impact on every age group, every coach. And now uh, a lot of the, uh, a lot of, at the start, a lot of drill-based stuff, a lot of um, uh, the stuff that you do against uh, passive opposition, then building it up into games and so on. And he had a, a big impact on us all and a great impact on the programme. The fact we had the 4v4s going, that, that was like, well, show us what That's you've done during, during the week, you know? So that was perfect for it went into the 8v8s and this you know this happened consistently all, all the way up and so he he was a massive influence and I, I must say he's he's the best I've ever seen at that type of coaching that that 1v1 he, he's very charismatic and he had a big influence on all of us on all the players and the whole program going through um he didn't do a lot of defending or anything it was all it was all <laughs> the tricks the skills the dribbles but that's what we wanted and um he worked with a lot of the age groups and then you knew he was very ambitious. So he was, he was always, it was like a shooting star. He was coming up, he was lighting it. And then he was, you know, he was, he ended up going off to the first team as well, but still had, you know, was still helping us. So that, that all mixed in. And then we had Jim Ryan, who was great on these combinations and free play. We'd had the uh, Eric Harrison influence where he was particularly strong on awareness and so on. So there was a whole mix that came into it. And yeah, so then, yeah, we were doing, you know, the turns and the dribbles and so on um, within that. And the kids already had it with them when they came up to my age group. Yeah. Yeah, because we had, uh, I had Rene on the show, actually, um, yeah. not not long ago. He was talking about that time and I asked him, he goes, well, was it hard to, <clears throat> you know, up, up, get the buy-in from all these coaches, you know, maybe who never experienced it before? And he said, no, of course not, because Sir Alex was there. So Alex was there telling us that this is what we're going to do, basically. Yeah, yeah, that was always there with Sir Alex, but it was so good that you couldn't help but mm -hmm. say, yeah, this is helping. So I think, you know, I don't know whether he noticed it, but we sort of bent over backwards to let him do what he could do. You know, we were doing yeah. all the other stuff uh, behind the scenes so that he could focus on that. And, you know, it was, I suppose it's a bit like, if you've got Ronaldo in your team, you don't worry about him running back too much. You let him do all the skills. So, so, yeah. so Renny didn't, didn't have to do any of the dogs, dog, you know, the dig in the dirt and all that, but, but everybody else played the role, you know? Yeah, well, what I meant was that was also we had a similar sort of philosophy at Tottenham for a long time where, you know, it's very much express yourself, 1v1, ball master. And, and there was some coaches just wouldn't just, you know, were had, would have a bit of pushback maybe because it was very unconventional, very un, un English mm. thing to do. Obviously, you had a very sort of like, you know, yeah. open environment to do that. Yeah, you've got to remember it's a part of the game. It's not everything, you know, yeah. it's, it, it's a part. It's not the whole thing. But if you've got ball mastery, then you can go on to the other things. I mean, I've got this stuff we're doing now this is very much similar. We're trying to get people at the FA to look under the microscope at individual skills on yeah. and off the ball, not just attacking, but defending and zooming in because quite often they're not seeing the details because they want to coach 4-3-3. They want to coach the system, the high press, to build the attack, but they're not seeing the details. Now, all the work you've, you do with your players and that we, we did with Red means that you're technically capable of actually doing the, the tactical work. If you if you can't technically do it, then the, the tactics and the patterns, they really mean nothing, you know? Yes, tell us about that then, because I was going to come on to that. I mean, you, you, you've you created this uh, quadrant tool, this observation tool, and I watched yeah. one of your, you know, you've used it a lot with 1v1 attacking. I, I was really interested in that, you know, we did that and also watched your 
low block uh, webinar earlier you were talking about defending in it and 2v1 defending so it yeah. really opens up tell us about that how did that come about you <clears throat> you this court the yeah, well use? yeah i'd already sort of seen you know there, there was change look there's some fantastic coaches aren't there now and the tactical awareness and the tactical skills of Guardiola, of Klopp, of some of the English guys coming through now, um, you know, is, is great. And obviously coaches are drawn to that. It's on TV, it's on, it's on Match of the Day, it's on Sky, it's everywhere. So people get into that. And then there were, I saw people going to the A-license. The A-license is based around that because it's supposed to be high-performance team coaching. So, yeah, I saw people on the course and they were doing it. But when it came to now, we've got the structure, but how does the individual play within the structure? How do they find their own space? How do they move to create space for someone else? How do they control the ball? What are the connections? Um, what's the individual duel? Well, they didn't quite have that organized in their head. You know, they had some of it. So then we said, we need to really look and focus on this. And we came up with the term, um, we'll look under the microscope. And in that sense, it's a good analogy because if you just twist the dial, twist the dial around, you go, you change the focus with a different lens. You're going from the full game at eleven aside to maybe to units, to pairs, to individuals. So we started to do this on the course, and I, I used listen. Every, it's nothing new. All the top people are doing it anyway. They zoom in and they see all the details. Where we were trying to help coaches with it was to be a little bit more specific and give a guide. So we put a circle around the, the pair. It can be a small circle, really tight, or it can be a bigger circle. And then we put a cross across it in the, in the quadrants. And we say, well, where are they? Say on the horizontal line, is the, is the defender goal side, ball side? Or is the attacker blind side of the ball? Or is he, is he uh, offside? You know, so we'll, we'll have a look at all, where is it, where is it? And you start to see common interactions and movements because then you'll start to see, oh, there's a blindside run behind or here's someone dropping off or someone opening up to create the space. So you can see the spaces in that. But we went further and said, well, yeah, that's okay. But if we take that, not just as an area on the ground, but like a cylinder going up. So if you and I are in the cylinder and we use the quadrants, well, where's my arm against you? Where's my leg coming across you? So we can use it. And a good analogy Pete uh, Sturgis uses in the foundation phase, he says to the kids, well, if you push in on my shoulder that way, it's like a revolving door, I'll spin out the other way. I like that. I like analogies like that, which help you. So we've started to use it on the courses. It's for off the ball and on the ball. And it's, it's for defending and for attacking. And we're just getting people to zoom in and really... Um, see the detail and then you start to see oh hang on there's some key concepts we're maybe we've got to focus on and we're maybe not coaching so I've watched a lot of kids football or even adults where right the player the forwards there's some key sort of key skills really and one of them would be maybe getting blindsided of your opponent so that he can't see you but you can see him so I tell the story of when I was a young coach at United um, in my 20s and they played Barcelona and Gary Pallister was marking Romario who I think scored two goals and the next day Pallister came in the, in the, in the coach's room put his feet on the desk, desk and said wow that Romario what a player he said every time I looked at the ball then looked at him he was looking at me he said I've never had a player look at me so much so here's a key thing in a duel that you've got to look at the defender 
see what his body shape is like, see, see if his eyes are looking away, and that might be the time to move. And of course, that's not only it, the, the striker has got to look at that. So it also was part of what I did with Marcus Rashford. He came to me at 16, 17 um, as a winger, number 10, always used to drop in deep to get the ball to feet and show his skills, like you can see now. He had all those skills then. But then we said, well, look, you, you're getting stronger. Let's try and make you into a centre forward who can run behind. So you need to stay away from the ball, learn to prepare, and then get eye contact with the passer and, and now make the different runs, blindside runs opening up, chest forward. So we taught him about body orientation, you know, not having his back to goal all the time, being side on, ready to change test for. But the key thing is in that there's, there's a, quite a few interdependent sort of factors that come into it, concepts. So you've got to prepare really on the last line against the defender. You want to maybe get blindside so that you can see him, but he can't see you. You have to prepare your space by maybe drifting away or he might come to you and now you'll go into the space he's got. So you've, you've, you're trying to coordinate that. You've also got to coordinate it with what's the passer going to do? Where's the ball going to do? So you've got to get connection with the passer. And then you've got to get eye contact with him. And then you've got to reveal the run. So are you going inside to go outside? or So that whole process, that took about six months. And, and then he was fortunate he got a chance in the first team. And that was it. He was in. Three months later, he was in the he was in the England team, and I think that process of working really hard at that, um, with a lot of individual coaching, not just for him but for the other players, that really helped. So that was also like the catalyst to this idea of the quadrants um, and and the this idea of under the microscope. Yeah, yeah, I remember the the first block of playing out from the back. Um... Starting the attack, as you called, and and you're 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 stepping in with. I think Eric Steele was doing a session, and you're stepping in. He said, "Right, come on, and pull." And it really inspired me because I was like, you know, uh, I thought I I think I felt like as a coaching community, as an international coaching fraternity, we'd gone so far into the games <coughs> games based yeah. thing, or just probably games. I remember being in a, in a meeting with the Singaporean FA and talking about skills coach and say, "Well, we don't do any of that now. We just do game stuff. That's all we do." Mm. I thought we'd moved so far away from the individual stuff, and I thought finally there's someone who's you know, coming out and saying, actually, you know, we need to actually hone back in on the individual. Yeah. And focus on the skill thing in, you know, in, in those different environments, but maybe go back into those individual techniques of the individual, the individual brilliance that change games. Absolutely. And then you've got to have those sort of ideas, concepts, little capabilities of the players. So has he got that capability to look at the defender, look at the space, peel away and then reveal, but, you've got to know that these things are interdependent. So I've done this at a few places and demonstrations and I'm trying to get the, the striker to do that, get the timing. But when they're playing the ball around in the midfield, the quality of the passes has either been bobbling or, or too hard or what have you, which means that the receiver can't get his touch and play the pass. So we have to make sure we get the fundamentals in first. And that's what we're trying to do now. We've got a group of us looking at how can we restructure maybe some of the, 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 the courses and the CPD to say, look, we need to get back to the very basics. Well, I don't call them basics. If you call them basics, people sort of go, oh, well, well, we'll go past that. We don't need it. It's fundamentals. If you don't have these fundamentals of passing and control, then you're never going to get to it. So I like to think of it as an analogy. If all these little ideas that you need and the skills that you need, the techniques, if each one of them is, is like a, a connection, on a circuit board, an electric circuit board, and each time it happens, a light goes on. 
So the first thing is if I'm dragging, that's the connection with the ball. And I'm trying to get a yard to get a pass off. If I drag, connection. Now the next concept, if I know that I go one way and, and, and dodge the other, that's a concept to go against the flow to beat you. Mm. Now I've got my head up and I'm going to play to the next guy and he's got already half turned so he can look over his shoulder. So that's another concept. Light bulb goes on. Now I play in the past, but I play it really smooth. Now that's important because that means he can have another look. Now if the guy ahead of him is just off his man, he's now got an idea he might be coming to feet or going behind. He'd, he'd prefer to go behind. So now if that guy has already had his look, he can get his first touch to the right place. That's another uh, light going on the connection. Bump, bump, bump. So everything's running smooth in a flow. Now he looks at the guy and he wants to see a signal. He gets eye contact. Now he wants to see body movement. Now, if the guy just all of a sudden opens up his body and his chest forward, now he knows where to play that pass. Yeah? So he's ready to play the pass. But if he sees the defender cutting it off, now he might reverse the pass and play it inside him. So there's all these connections going on. You know, it is a very simple game. And I hope that doesn't sound too complicated. No, but, I, I, but I, I, if I any of those I, connections are not right, it's going to break down. Yeah, I think you, even you mentioned earlier, you talked about cushioning and wedging the ball. Yeah. It's like when I did my level two, you know, Keith Boanas, top FA, FA educator, really broke, we did break mm. down all the techniques and were real technical yeah. know, practices. And I don't think people cover that anymore. So you've got a generation of coaches coming through and not being taught, you know, basic yeah. techniques like that. That's what Chris Randy, one of my mentors talked about. He said, you know, there's just very little technical coaching going on these days because maybe, you know, the coaches don't know, haven't been upskilled to, to know how to Yeah, to I think that's that. where we, we're looking maybe that we will... Um, revise that and go back to it and, and, and really go, go back into, well, what's now the perception action coupling. You've got to perceive all the things and then you've got to, you've got to be able to control the ball and play it right and do the, do everything. And coaches, that's the idea of this under the microscope that they can zoom in. They can use it. If they've got this as a coaching tool to zoom in or zoom out, they've got it all their career. So now with Graham Carrick, Michael Carrick's brother, I work with him at the FA so now we're looking at 2v2 uh, combinations. Now, really, if you've already learned to use this under the microscope, look from head downwards and what are they doing, what are the spaces, you've zoomed in on the guy on the ball and you see that he drops his shoulder and comes in. And the guy ahead of him now makes a movement away to come close. Yeah. And now they play. Now that's 2v2. You've connected the two of them. And uh, you're really closely looking, and that might be a 1-2 or a pass and follow or or an overlap, you know? And now you've yeah. got some key concepts you're looking at in the game, yeah. Rennie, mate, Rennie Mullenstein made a great point on the show and he talked about, he's, you know, we were talking about the ball mastery in the 1v1, how it's just an element, you know? And obviously you're doing all the other game stuff, your possession work and all those, you know, the free play and how he said, like, if you give me the ball mastery and 1v1 stuff and then the possession stuff as well, it makes the perfect, you know, sort of development sort of environment. You have a mix, isn't it? So rather than saying Absolutely. it doesn't have to all be opposed or all be unopposed, just having a mix and knowing when and where to use what tools, right? Yeah, and that's why we're looking under the microscope off the ball. What's your positional play? What's your body orientation? Do you scan? Do you give a clear signal to the passer? Do you know how to um, entice the, the, your, your marker out of a space so that then there's a passing line? All these type of things, you know, are important off the ball as well. So it's, it can't all be just ball mastery. But certainly, if you haven't got the ball mastery, you will never get to the point where you can, you can decide which pass to make and, and connect with people because 
you'll be forever fighting with the ball or you'll be playing a 50-50 ball. So if, you, if the ball's being played out to the fullback and the striker's chasing him down, if the pass isn't quite right on, if he hasn't got a turn, if he hasn't got, say, an outside hook, pretend to play it down the line and do an outside hook and the striker goes flying past him, well, he's, he's just going to be stuck with a 50-50 pass down the line. So, you know, we must really, uh, it's vital that you get these things in. And that's why also the games programme, you shouldn't be jumping to too big a game, 11 aside too soon. You need to get good in the individual tactics, pairs, threes in smaller games. That's why futsal is such a great game, because it's very clear. Um, it's very clear learning opportunities uh, in futsal and, and small-sided games. You can see the pictures clearly, and you can see if you've done them well or not. And just a bit about your 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 social media presence. You're quite you're quite active on social social media. I saw like, like I really enjoy your post. I saw one the other day when you were talking about the curved curved run of the uh, City player there, breaking yeah. down individual tactics, different techniques. What do you, do you think that's really? I mean, it's, tell us about why you why you're so active well, and how powerful yeah, that is. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing that for, for a bit of pleasure, a bit of fun, but also to pass it on. You know, you, you don't always get the biggest reach. You, you hope uh, people look. Um, you're just trying to maximize where people see it, and if that gets people thinking, that's good. And and if it draws attention to these individual tactics, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm really interested in all parts of the game. I'm inter interested in 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 you know the things that Guardiola's doing now with his false nine and all this sort of stuff, everything. Um, but all of that, I think Gundogan, you saw that on that clip, mm. he, he arcs his run, which brings brings the defender with him a little bit and creates space for the pass behind. It's brilliant play. And um, yeah, you're just hoping that it, it sparks some curiosity for other people to use this um, tool. It's on YouTube. I'll do an advert for it now. It's on YouTube. Uh, FA Learning and it's under the Microscope series. They've got six blocks from the A license. So you've got build the attack, create the attack, finish the attack. You've got high press, mid block and low block. I think they're worth looking at for people who are interested in coaching. And it's just to get a process for them to use themselves. It's not saying do it like this, but it's saying, look, have a look for yourself. And then you decide if you've seen these key sort of factors, how you want to coach it. Yeah. Now, how do you, how do you how do you how do you keep yourself fresh and upskill yourself and keep learning? And do you have like mentors? And who do you, who do you, who do you like yeah. to watch? Yeah, I, I watch all this. This is really I've got in the last two couple of years. I've really got into the zooming in on this. And then once you zoom on this, now I've started on twos. And then if you've got the pairs, then I think you've already seen some pictures for pairs. Now you start to see the third man run. Again, you learn from all people. Graham Carrick. Michael's brother, the two of them were obviously at West Ham when they were kids. And West Ham did a lot of third man runs. And yeah. he's explained to me, and we spoke to Tony Carr about it. So you're always sort of tapping into people wherever you can. Um, so yeah, I do that. I still speak regularly to Jim Ryan, who's he's one of the most creative coaches I've ever met. Um, you know, there's lots of good people at the FA that you, that you can learn from. But I, I learn from the players as well. You're on... You're on calls with top players. Danny Dicchio just pointed a small detail out to me on a course, which is great. So, yeah, you're always learning. Um, if you're curious enough, you know, I've just gone with the under-16s national team now to help them um, with some, you know, some of their camps. I suppose I'm there as a bit of an old head now, um, help, helping them out to give them a bit. But, they're, you know, you've got people like Justin Cochran, who's really bright on 
on um, on the skills side. Um, I'm working with Rob Edwards, who's really keen on, you know, on on the teamwork and and um, and he's you know there, there's some really good coaches that you can learn from. You've got you just got to keep your eyes open. I, I, I listen. I think learning, having as much idea on how people learn is important. So there's a couple of books recently, Doug Lamov, isn't it, on learning, yeah. teaching, the, te- the real teaching stuff, um, all the stuff with constraints-based stuff, um, Keith Davids, all that. You know, I'm, I try to keep, keep that, but try and mix it with your own experience, yeah. Now, and what about, what's your ambitions What's your have you have you got what's your ambitions in the game? Have you got um yes I I want to help as many people as I can, I suppose, in this role. It, it's it's a different role. I had 28 years at one place where you're trying to imprint a brand on players. You you're trying to give them a way of life, a way of playing in one way. Now you go to this role and you this is it's very difficult because it's not you know everybody's got their own brand they've got their own way of doing things so then it's more like this under the microscope give them a process that might help them you know with their thoughts and, and what they do you can't you're not in a position to say this is the way to do it which is hard when all your life you've been doing that so um mm-hmm. you know it's i'd like to get good at this role but also yeah, helping with those England teams. If if you could, in a small way, help develop football altogether in in the country, small bits. That's that's one way. Or the other thing is to go back in a club and and, and help one club in a big way. You know, when you've you've got more of a focus with a smaller amount of coaches and and so on. So, yeah, who who know who knows what the, what the future holds? Yeah. And what would your advice be to a young aspiring coach who want to have a, a career in the game and? You know, a great career like yourself. Um, well, yeah, those those things I said before. There, be, be curious is is massive. You've got to be curious. You've got to learn. You've got to throw yourself into it. You know, and and um, practice as much as possible. But one great bit of advice I had off Jim Ryan years ago. He gave it to us all, all the coaches United on a CPD thing. He said, "Coach, what you like." You know, so I think that's really good advice because if, if you're coaching what somebody else does or you've seen Bayel, so you know, he does it, so you'll copy. Okay, you copy bits. But if you're just copying someone else, if you've just, you can't expect coaches to just all be the same in a club. You know, you've got to coach what you like uh, as long as it fits within your club's sort of spectrum. Because if you do, so we are used to, luckily Jim and I were on the same wavelength. We liked combination play we like dribbling we liked fast attack attacking play um i loved so we used to like call it um we used to have a theme for it the hunting dogs i used to them all working together to win the ball back all these things coach what you like and then the players will see that you're you've got a belief in it a feeling an emotion for it you've got to have that emotion um and i suppose that's the that's the biggest thing if you have that feeling for it I call it the spirit of football. What, what you're doing in youth football definitely is trying to pass that feeling on um, so that other people really, they're inspired to use their own skills. Um, and I suppose, yeah, long-winded answer this, but yeah, the, the biggest thing is to add value. You can be a, a success, win the league a year or two, but over the time, if you're av- adding value to everybody, then that's the biggest thing for a youth coach. 
What about, I get asked this question a lot from people as well, how can they upskill themselves on the, those technical elements, those 1v1 elements of the game? How, what's the best way to do that from a young coach? Um, I, I, I do think it's a massive help if you can do them yourself, you know? Um, you know, there's, there's some people out there that, that can't do it. That's not to say you can't there, but you, if you're expecting your players to be full-on ball mastery and so on, then... I always felt you should be able to do it yourself to demo it and so on. It's not for everybody. Obviously, not everybody can do that. But then then the next thing is to really look under the microscope so that you understand how it works. What are the biomechanics of it so that you can explain it properly? Um, and then, then using analogies is good, you know, um, to, to help them. Um, to help them with it so that you, you don't always break it down into all its parts. An analogy can help you you know, do the whole thing. So that's, I like that one of like the, you know, uh, coming out of that, the revolving door, because that gives you the whole movement, you know, how would you come out of that revolving door quickly? Things like that. Yeah. So, but you, if, if you're a skills coach, you've really got to know the skills. So you, it helps if you can do them and helps that you've really thought about, um, the mechanics of it and then also understand how people learn it you know and the language you use and so on yeah you know, I, I, I had a call I'm mentoring an academy coach at the moment from <clears throat> an academy does the under 13s we just he just wants to know more about the individual technical elements you know yeah. so you mentioned the striker runs and stuff like that so what would you recommend just like watching more games go to watch players what they do and you know if you ain't got a chance to play with them go and watch you know first team players and watch what they had their movements and those sorts of things best way to try and learn yeah all, all of those things watching games live watching people recording it going back seeing good coaches I mean Rene just one little thing I remember with Rene he just said right on your outside hook turn you know don't don't reach and tap the ball and then tap it again he said just reach and, and just stand on it and then then you'll not stand on it but put your foot past it and then when you come back it's just ready to go so it just like saves you half a second. And, you know, li little details like that, really watch. You're looking for how can you do it in a flow and how can you go against the flow of the opponent. So a lot of that then is, is down to timing, changes of speed, changes of direction, disguise, using your body as a barrier. All those would be key tactics. Um, and then, you know, also sussing out what's your opponent's strengths or weakness. All those things come into it, yeah. So you, do you envisage then, like in the next ten years or so, big, you know, big more emphasis on those individual skills and techniques in academy football? I hope so. I think it's needed, definitely. I mean, that that's that's where this is aimed at with uh, this under the microscope stuff. I know this group I've got with Pete Sturgis, Noddy Holder, Graham Carrick. We're moving that skill development. How do we do it? It's, it's not always easy. You know, national thing to, to what happens is you might have some good people and they show some people and then they show someone else and it all just gets diluted if you're not careful. So we have to find a way to really inspire people to do it. I, I think it's coming more and more in at the professional level in the sense of a few ways. Some players, some pro players doing it off their own back with their agent and so on. You know, it's happened in American sports and, uh, and so on, where they get individual coaches working with them. Um, not that they've got loads of time in between they get all the games at the moment, but there's that. There's the development coach who's working 
with top players who are on the fringes of the first team squad. That's the role that Rennie was doing for a time. That's really important in the individual stuff. I think I think you have to be careful with the... You, you have to do it in terms of positions. You do, because they're different. But you have to remember to connect the game. So um, even in your positional stuff, if you just work with the forwards on their own and you don't connect them to the midfield and defenders, who they don't, they don't get the connection between the passer and the receiver. They both have to be on the same wavelength. They have to show the understand the runs. They have to understand the timing. So just working on your own, not enough. It's like the goalkeepers working just on their own. They need the, they need the forwards to shoot against them. And then to really make it realistic, they need the defenders in the way. Um, so you, you can never get away from the full game. It's that whole part, whole, where you, you, you sort of go into detail with a part and then put it back into the whole game. Lovely. Paul, thanks very much, mate. Thanks for joining us. It's been fantastic. Good. Great to talk to you. Yeah. Cheers, Paul. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.